All right, check one, two, check, check one, two. Good evening, Saints. How you doing? Yeah. It is so good to be with you tonight. As uh, Josh said, my name is Eric. I'm at McLean Bible. It's good to see you. Uh, if you got a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to Philippians 4. Go ahead and turn to Philippians 4. Uh, one of the things that you turn that I'll say about Josh is uh, this. Uh, Josh has been an extremely uh, great uh, friend to me. Uh, he's a man that loves Jesus, and uh, I want to encourage you guys as the saints that you can follow Josh as Josh follows Jesus. He's been an amazing friend, someone who has pointed me to Jesus over the years. All right, so we're in Philippians 4. And here's the thing. If we could agree on something tonight, I would say this. I've never known a person that does not desire peace. Like You may know people who've gone about getting peace in uh, ways that are wrong, but I've never known anybody who did not desire peace. Peace is something that we all want, uh, but peace is incredibly hard to come by. And that's especially the case in 2021. So every year Gallup puts out a poll and the poll is titled the Global Emotion Report. And this year it said that the world was sadder, angrier and more worried in a more stressed out place than it has been in any time over the last 15 years. And I feel like this is no surprise to us, but it actually said this. It said 70% of people said that they smiled or laughed a lot the previous day, a five-point drop from last year. And this said 40% of adults worldwide say that they experienced a lot of stress the previous day, and that's a record high. And for America, it was actually 49%. So many reasons for this. I, I don't want to go through all of them, but I, and I wish I had more time. But I think for many of us, our pursuit of the American dream has led us to anxiety. And the reason why I say that is, is, is to say this. All the comparisons that we have and all the expectations uh, that we have lead us to this, this warped, rose-colored view of what we should expect from life. To put that on the, uh, and to put the opposite of that, we expect the American dream, but we dread suffering. And yet the scriptures prepare us for as followers of Jesus Christ for something different. And see, the scriptures are so real and yet they're so hopeful. I love what John 10, 33 says. It says, in this world, you will have trouble. There's no rose colored glasses in the scriptures. In this world, you will have trouble. What does it say at the end? It says, take heart. Jesus says, I've overcome the world. And this is hopeful. Because there are so many things in life that we can consider trouble. So many things that we can feel anxious about. And, but here's the thing. Right now, I want us to tease out. I want to tease out really quickly the difference between fear and anxiety. Because they feel the same, but they're closely related. And so let me help you with this. Fear is your response to what is happening to you in the moment. Anxiety is your anticipation of a future moment. And so I'll give you an example here. It's kind of like going on a roller coaster. Anybody here like going on roller coasters? I don't. So God bless all of y'all. But fear is what your body does when you're going down the drop. 
Anxiety is what's going on in your body when the roller coaster is going click, clack, click, clack, and you're going all the way to the top and you're anticipating of the drop. Here's the thing. Anxiety is a fearful response to a possible future. It's the anticipated bottom dropping out of your life. It's all the what ifs that you play in your mind. And so we all have those because human beings are wired to think about the future. So my question for you is, what are your what ifs tonight? Some of you have these what ifs. What if I'm not successful? What if I get laid off? What if I never get married? What if I don't have the children or the children don't turn out the way that I want my children to turn out? What if I don't have the money for the future? What if no one really ever knows me or loves me? Even as a pastor, we struggle with the what ifs. For me, my wife's late coming home. I go from uh, I go from zero to widow in no time flat. Right. I'm thinking about all the things that could happen to her. I'm calling her on the phone. I'm like, baby, where are you at? What if something happens to her? What if I don't measure up? I mean, I read an article years back by this guy that did. Uh, he, he did a, um, a survey of all the expectations that church members have of pastors. And this guy sent out a survey and he, well, actually as a pastor, he sent out a survey to his congregation, asking them to write out what they think his responsibilities are and how long he should dedicate himself to each task. And so he got the results back. He did the math. And if he did all that his congregation expected him to do, he will be working 114 hours a week. 16 hours a day, seven days a week. So think about all the kinds of anxiety that a pastor can have in light of the expectations on him. Listen, all that to say there's so many causes of anxiety out there. It's real. However, listen to me today. Here's some good news. You do not have to be enslaved to your anxiety. The God of the universe has something to say to you. And he has something to say to you from Philippians 4. So I'm going to read Philippians 4. I'm actually going to read verses 4 through 7 tonight. Philippians 4, 4 through 7 tonight. Here it is. It says, rejoice in, the, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's take a moment to pray together. Father, we are so grateful that you are willing to take out of our hands our anxieties and you are willing and able to replace our anxiety with your peace. Father, with the many people in this room tonight, God, you know the specific anxieties that we face. And we pray today that your word will do the work. That we'll be reminded of how big a God you are. And that we'll respond to you in faith. And that we'll receive the peace of salvation. Father, will you help us tonight? May we not be a people that stand above your word as critics, but beneath your word as servants. Saying, whatever you tell me to do today, I will do it. Help us to do that by the power of your spirit. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, I love this text because this text is written by the Apostle Paul. He's writing this from prison. 
So if there's anybody that should be anxious about something, it is Paul. He's locked up. But the beautiful thing in this passage is that he is not fearful. He wasn't anxious about his future, even though his future felt uncertain. Matter of fact, he writes this letter, the, the, the letter to the Philippian church. And the theme of this letter is joy. It's joy from a jailhouse. And he's writing against anxiety because there is nothing that can rob you of your joy and peace. Nothing that has a greater ability to rob you of your joy and peace than anxiety. And here's where we're going today. And if you're taking notes, you can just write this statement down. Here's the thing. Because the Lord is at hand, peace is available to anxious people. Listen, today, peace is yours for the taking. And so we're going to unpack three questions tonight. We're going to ask ourselves, what is anxiety? We're going to ask ourselves, how do I face it? And then we're going to ask ourselves, what can I expect? What is anxiety? How do I face it? What can I expect? What is anxiety? I want you to look at the end of verse five. It says this. It says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Listen, don't be anxious about anything. Think about that statement. That seems such a clear and simple command. Stop being anxious. This command is given by Paul through the Apostle Paul to the Philippian believers. And today it sounds uh, believers today. And it sounds a lot like Jesus when he says, don't be anxious about your life, what you eat or drink or not, not about your body, what you will put on. See, both of these commands do not be anxious. It seems to be like this. It seems to follow that if the God of the universe is telling you to stop doing something, we should stop doing it. And it seems as if the God of the universe is telling us to stop doing something. The ability to stop doing it is actually available and accessible to us. So right now it would do us well to pause and to think about what does Paul mean by those words? Do not be anxious. Because I think some of you are looking at Paul right now and you're thinking he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not 21st century sophisticated. He's writing over 2000 years ago. He doesn't understand the nature of anxiety. And for some of you guys, the mere phrase do not be anxious about anything. That phrase actually fills you with anxiety. You're thinking, how in the world am I supposed to do that? You're looking at these words and you're thinking it seems impossible. (laughs) Anxiety is something that I feel like I it's not something that I can feel like I can resist. It's this unwelcome guest in my life that pops up and overpowers me. It makes my chest feel tight. I can't breathe. My mind is out of control. It's swirling all over the place. And believe me, I would love to not be anxious, Pastor Eric. My anxiety doesn't feel like something that I can just release. For many of us, it feels like. The opposite is is something that I want to be released from, but it has a vice grip on me. So you're looking at Paul, you're thinking, how in the world can you tell me don't be anxious? But can I remind you of something? When our Lord inspired Paul to pin these words, don't be anxious. He knew that Paul was writing to broken people. Like he knows that if we are reading the word of God, it is never his intention to load you up. Here's the thing. God's intention is always to lighten your load. A loving God is telling you this. Our God is not a burden giver. He's a burden lifter. So what does it mean? If this phrase, don't be anxious, is supposed to lift our burdens and not give us more of them. What does it mean? Well, here's the thing. It's clear. 
that Paul isn't addressing, first of all, all kinds of anxiety because all kinds of anxiety isn't bad. Let me explain. Paul is not talking about godly concern. And so Paul actually mentions, man, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, 28, he mentions this anxiety that he has for all the churches. Right. And it's a positive example to follow. And he actually uses the same word for anxiety in Philippians chapter four. So what did he mean by anxiety for all the churches? Well, Paul actually meant that he has a concern for the spiritual welfare of the churches that, that, that he had planted, that he had helped start. And we, too, should have a burden for the souls of people. And this is why I love the fact that you guys are planning a church here in Congress Heights. Why? Because you have a burden for the people in this neighborhood. That's an anxiety that we actually should have. Remember that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He was a man of sorrows, but he never sinned by worrying and taught that we shouldn't worry. Right. So anxiety does not mean a lack of concern. And some of you are, 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 are not anxious because it, it means that you're not you don't really care about anything. We're detached from life. We don't have passion. And Paul isn't talking about this kind of anxiety. But I also think that it is safe to say that when the word of God says to not be anxious, he's not talking about either. He's not talking about illness. What do I mean by that? For some of you, your reaction to a perceived threat is not proportionate. Like the length and the depth of your emotional response is not Proportionate and in no way in the Bible um, uh, uh, um, is it not saying that is it saying that to be anxious means that means to not be ill. So what is anxiety? So let, let me give you something. The type of anxiety that Paul and the scriptures have in view, the type of anxiety that's wrong is this. It's the kind where your what ifs crowd out the reality of God's presence. It's when the what ifs of your future cause you to unravel in the present. This is what he's talking about. Here's the illustration. I got two kids at home. I got a four year old and a three year old. And when they were young, they were very, very different. Um, And one of the ways that I see that they are different is the way that they respond to fearful inducing situations. Right. And so I got one kid that, listen, you could jump around the corner with a with a chainsaw and a Jason mask and he'll smile at you. and He'll ask you to pick him up. Now, that's my youngest kid. Uh, my youngest, my oldest kid, he does not play at all, at all, man. We had a birthday party for him and he liked dinosaurs. And so we had somebody come in and dressed as a dinosaur. And so the dinosaur came around the corner and my boy was gone. He didn't come out for the rest of the party. And I, the, way, the reason I said this is because my, my oldest son, who gets scared a lot, uh, one day he had my cell phone and there's certain apps. I know some of y'all have on the phone that have those filters, right? Like you can put your face to it. Filter pops up. And so I'm with them. I'm with them on it. He has my phone and we're, we're, we're facing it together. And he's swiping at them. And there was one filter that didn't change his face, but it changed mine. Like my face changed into a monster. Right. And at that moment, he screamed because at that moment, I wasn't there anymore. It was a monster. When he looked at my phone, he didn't see me anymore. He saw a monster. And I I thought about that. And I thought about that really is what anxiety is. Anxiety is applying. Similar to that filter that was on my phone. Anxiety is applying the worst case scenario filter on your future. This filter makes our worst case scenario seem so big 
and seeing and, and makes God feel non-existent. Just like my son in that moment when that monster popped up on the screen and his dad was no longer existent. That's what anxiety does to your future. You look in your future. All of a sudden, man, you see God not there and you see your fears looming large. And for the Christian anxiety, listen to me today. It's a lie about your future. It's functional atheism. It's saying that God has not carried you to this point and he's not good enough or he's not powerful enough to keep you, keep you going into the future. It's a lie. And so that's why it says right before, don't be anxious. That's why it says the Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious for nothing because we serve a God that is bigger than your what ifs. The command, do not be anxious. It's not a command to diminish the object of your worry. There are some very big things that we are worried about. It's not like, it's not to act like the things that you are worried about can't happen or that they do not exist. No, the command to not be anxious is a command to not diminish your view of the object of the worry. Here it is. It's a command to enlarge your view of God. Our God is big. He's bigger than any worry that you can have tonight. I don't know what your worries are right now. For many of us, we have some real legitimate worries that can really invade our life tomorrow. But we have to remember that our God is bigger. Uh, My second point is this, and I kind of already went over it. But how do we face anxiety? If anxiety is when the weddings of your future uh, cause you to unravel in the present, how do we actually face it? I want you to look at verse six again. Uh, Verse six says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So check this out. So it doesn't just say in this verse, don't stop being anxious. It actually says to replace your anxious behavior with something else. He says, pray. So here, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, here's the thing at this point. I can already see people's eyes possibly rolling, looking at me and saying, listen, here goes the pastor, Eric, telling me that prayer is the answer to every single thing that I face. It seems no matter what happens, the same answer I'm going to get from the church. Just pray about it. And and I want to address that because there are many people probably even in this room who are wrestling with anxiety. And I want to be clear that the encouragement to pray is not my attempt to tell you to do nothing else. If you are clinically anxious or depressed, this encouragement to pray is not implying that you should not take your medication or that you should stop seeing the therapist. Because here's me today. The same God that wrote this phrase, don't be anxious, or the same person that wrote the phrase, don't be anxious, also wrote to a guy named Timothy in another letter. And he told Timothy to address his stomach ailments by taking medicine. See, God and his common grace have given us things like medicine and counselors for our own good. He didn't, he didn't just tell Timothy to pray about it. I'm sure he told Timothy to pray about it, but he said pray about it and take your medicine. But here's the thing. I think Paul is getting at something here. If the anxiety that Paul is talking about is forgetting that the Lord is at hand, there is no greater thing that you can do in the midst of your anxiety than remind yourself, to remind yourself how big God is than to pray. See, look at what he says here. He says, but in everything, in verse six, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Think about what this is telling you to do. 
If anxiety is looking into the future and seeing the worst case scenario and not God, listen to me today. Prayer is an exercise in bringing your anxiety to a God who is very much there and very much for you. Think about it. When we pray at the bottom of it, you are acknowledging the presence of God. When anxiety is creeping up into your soul, the one thing that prayer is, it is the acknowledgement that God is there. You're you're anxious, but you're addressing the God of the universe. He's there and he will be there. It's bringing your anxiety to God in the knowledge that God is eternal, that God will sustain you right where you are, that he'll be there in the future. The God of your present is the God of your future. And then he says, with supplication. So here's the thing. Not only is God there, he will always have what you need. Just with supplication. We ask because he's got it. See, listen, there are certain things that you can ask me for right now. And my response to you will be, sorry, I don't got it. Like, Eric, give me $20. Sorry, I don't have it. Like, who cares cash anymore anyway? But there is no situation where you can come to God and say, God, provide for me. And God's going to say, I don't have it. It's not going to happen. The, the eternal God who owns the universe, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The God that sustains all that there is, he will come through for you. He can supply for you. Do you believe that? God is saying, come to him and he will help you. How will he help you? You see, this is important because someone once told me that disappointment comes when expectations are met. And so we need to know what can I expect when I pray to God and I ask him for his help in the midst of my anxiety, what can I expect? And is it actually good? So my third point, what can we expect? What can we expect when we acknowledge him and give him our, and, and when we give him our anxiety? We can expect this, that God is willing to take our anxiety and to give us peace. Look at verse seven. Verse seven says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing. Congress has community church. We can somehow make we can sometimes make the mistake of thinking that peace is on the other side of the struggle. We tend to think that peace is entirely circumstantial. We tend to think that some of us, for some of us, peace can only be had when the trouble is gone. And that's why this kind of peace surpasses all understanding, because Paul is talking about a kind of peace that you can have even within the struggle. Paul is talking about the kind of peace that your troubles can't take away, that your worst fears can't take away. Think about this. This verse uh, previously actually tells us to pray with thanksgiving. Your thought here should be like, wait, hold on. How do I make a prayer request known with thanksgiving when I haven't received what I wanted yet? <laughs> like, how do I thank God even if I'm not certain that I'm going to get what I want? And when we come to God with thanksgiving, what we say is, God, I know whatever comes from your hand is good. That's why you can pray for Thanksgiving before you got what you prayed for, because whatever comes from God's hand is going to be good. There's not a situation that you can find yourself in that God cannot reach you with good things. God's provision anticipates your true need. And this is so encouraging, so encouraging. 
One pastor described it this way. Man, and actually, this happened to me last week. I uh, was at Georgetown Hospital visiting a 39-year-old man who was dying from cancer. And one pastor was describing to me the same, uh, the same thing. He actually was visiting a 34 year old man who had terminal cancer before he died. This guy had two young kids and he had a wife. And as that pastor was talking to me and he was walking this man through his dying days, he was blown away by how much more peace and joy that he experienced the closer he got to death. My question, how in the world can you do that when you know that you're about to die? That's what that pastor asked him. And the guy looked back at him and he said, it's Ephesians 4. He said, I've learned to thank God for the good I cannot see. Think about that. When you're in your anxiety and your worry and you're praying to God, we can pray to God with thanksgiving because God is able to reach us with the good that we can't see in the moment. His peace came not from being free of cancer, this guy. It came from trusting the God above the cancer. And listen, if you are in Christ Jesus, the peace comes from the fact that you serve a God that is with you now and that he's leading you towards an eternity that is infinitely better than you can imagine. If you're a follower of Jesus, your worst case scenario in life right now is a resurrection and eternal life. Listen, that's why we don't have to have anxiety and worry today. And I want to address actually the converse of that. I'm not trying to be morbid or anything when I say this. I'm being real. For those who are not in Christ, there's only the small, temporary, fleeting hopes in this life. Anxiety and worry is warranted in a life without God. Because your worst case scenario will seem like, because if you're not in Christ, there is no hope. Your worst case scenario in life right now actually seems like paradise compared with an eternity without Jesus. And the good news today is that if you don't know Jesus, you can actually trust him today. There is room at the table. God is willing to welcome you into his family and you can know that peace attached to his presence. Trust in him as Lord. Go to him in humility with your sins, saying, God, I God, I have sinned against you. I trust the fact that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sin. He rose again, proving that he's Lord and that he has victory over sin, death and the grave. So that if I repent of my sin and simply come to you with my hands empty in all my anxieties, you are able to take my anxiety and replace it with your salvation and your peace. It's what it means to trust in Jesus as Lord. You can know that even if your worst case scenario in life happens, while it may be unpleasant, you don't have to be anxious. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. God is near. Our God is coming soon. Man, I I, um, love um, uh, Avenger films. The Marvel films, man. Like, I didn't get into it until I got friends that like to watch them. And then after they started watching them, I watched it. Right. And one of the things that like um, if you watch an Avenger film in the movie, I don't know who came up with a deal about post credit scenes. No, those are right. Post credit scenes. The screen goes black. You're supposed to leave during that part, typically. But now I've got to the point where like, if I see people sitting there, I'm going to wait there. And the reason why I'm going to wait there is because other people waiting helps me understand that there is something that's coming after the darkness. You see, in life, here's the thing. Your worst case scenario might actually happen. But the hope that we have is in the fact that we actually have a post credit scene. 
Even in the darkness, we wait with joy and hope and anticipation because Jesus has risen from the dead and he will come back for his people. Man, when I think about worst case scenarios, I think about Job. And this is a guy whose worst case scenario actually came true. Man, he lost it all. He lost his wife, lost his kids, lost his wealth, lost his health, lost every single thing that we fear of losing. And what did he say? He said, everything that I have, he said, everything that I have feared is upon me. But what else does he say? He said this. He said, I know that my redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, and yet in my flesh, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. You see, the redeemer that Job looks forward to, we now see even clearer. Jesus has come to save us, and he will return again. And just as he was raised, so too we were I. And no one of the scriptures say comfort each other with these words because your what ifs will not have the final say over your life. Jesus does. One author put it this way in talking about Easter. We are an Easter people living in a Good Friday world. Here's the thing. When your days feel like Good Friday after Good Friday after Good Friday after Good Friday, uh, Congress High Community Church, I want you to remember this. There's hope that you can have because Easter is coming. Let's take a moment to pray tonight. Father, we are so grateful that your word gives incredible comfort for anxious people. If we are here tonight and we have blood coursing through our veins and we have breath in our lungs, we are a people who are capable of and many people have anxieties. There is something that we are anxious about. There is something that we feel like, man, if this happened in my life, I couldn't recover from it. But I thank you for the truth of Psalm 23, where it says goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. There is not a situation that we can face that you can't reach us with your goodness and mercy because you've conquered the grave. If death can't separate us from your goodness and mercy, nothing can. So, God, may we have that hope. May we be a people who refuse to be anxious because you are at hand. May we pray, remembering that you are big and our worries are so much more smaller than you. And Father, may we receive the peace, which is the fruit of your spirit and the hope of what is to come. We love you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.